Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. We're broadcasting from the West Coast, and today I am beyond thrilled to be joined by author, Emmy Award-winning actor, director, podcast host, and one of my favorite tweeples, that's my word for people on Twitter, John Cryer. Hey, John. Hey, Emily. How are you? How was that intro? That was, I, I was impressed with myself. Suddenly, I, I, I had been feeling anxious and, uh, you know, I had a lot of insecurities and lack of self-esteem, but I don't have them anymore. Thank you, Emily. You're welcome. Should we end it right here? Yes. Let's let's just quit while we're ahead. I mean, it's on a high note. I mean, I don't know where else we can go. <laughs> Uh, you're right. You're right. It's all downhill from here. Uh, so I, before we dive into all the like politics and Trump stuff, I was doing a little research as the former CIA person that I am. And I saw that you went to the same high school that my dad went to. What? Bronx science? Were you, a, you were like a mathy nerd because he was a total mathy nerd. We, I was not. No, I was, uh, uh, I was science adjacent. Uh, in high school, uh, basically, oh, very LA of you to call yes. it adjacent. <laughs> yes, um, basically, uh, no. I was. Uh, I wanted to be an actor by the time I was twelve, um, and uh, the logic for me was that I did. I did okay academically, um, pretty much. Pretty much until my last year of junior high school, when I realized that it was much more fun to be an actor and not bother to do well academically, um, and so I. Uh, uh, but I did at that point realize that um, colleges would find me a lot more interesting and well-rounded if I went to a fancy science school, which – and I took the test and I was able to get in. Um, that's how New York worked at the time. And I imagine that's how uh, it worked when your dad was uh, – Yeah, it was well. absolutely. He took the test and it was – for him, it was a big deal because they grew up they, – they were a little poor. So it was a big deal that he got into that school and it kind of paved his way for everything. But he was sort of the traditional sort of – person who would go to Bronx science by traditional, I mean, like mathy and sciencey, nerdy, all that kind of stuff that he's like, oh, yeah, he blends into that crowd. Oh, yes. And 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 the, I, believe me, I, st- I stood out like a sore thumb. Uh, I did not did not belong there. Um, and and, you know, the, it was the kind of place that if you if you were willing to make, you know, an effort uh, and be diligent, uh, you could come out of there, you know, headed to NASA or the, you know, the the, uh, the you know, or uh, <laughs> you could go to theater camp, which is what I did. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it was it, it was an amazing place. And I, I'm really grateful. And as you know, you know, people are very down on the public education system, but that place was uh, just a, a remarkable, remarkable institution and still is, still has a, amazing, amazing graduates. And they, it's funny, it's like one of the few public schools that you'll see that it has lists of like the Nobel Prize winners and the Pulitzer Prize winners. And it's it's kind of crazy, but that makes me have some faith into our public school systems a little bit. I agree. Betsy. 
Before Betsy yes, DeVos. Yes. Well, let's, uh, you know, it's only been two years and I, you know, and I, I it already smells like it, there's there's going to be issues with her uh, with the new Congress anyway. Uh, so I don't I, I'm I'm I don't know how much damage she's going to be able to do. But uh, but uh, but we'll see. They've uh, they've always surprised us in fun ways. This group. I feel like when you say there's how much damage, I feel like that's going to be a challenge if she hears. I know. I know. Like, <laughs> John says I can't do a lot of damage. <laughs> do your worst, Betsy. <laughs> She's over a cauldron doing double, double toil and trouble. <laughs> Speaking of, which leads into the next thing, I found you obviously on Twitter because we are both fairly like minded when it comes to Trump politics and all this crazy shit show that we are experiencing right now. Were you always political or was this something that, you know, Trump started, you know, that fire? Uh, I was always aware of it uh, and into it personally. I just never was public about it. Um, I didn't really endorse people. Um, I, I just feel like uh, Trump is a, a, an actual crisis for the republic. I think that there is a, a genuinely dark and, and dangerous thing that is occurring. I don't believe this is something that, you know, I mean, there have absolutely been dark dark uh, periods during our country's history. And uh, and there have, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of folks, including myself, uh, hoped that we were on a a, um, a path toward um, toward things getting gradually better. Uh, you know, obviously, that seems to be the soul of progressivism. Uh, but uh, but I think that this was you know, a very ominous turn for where America could go. And so I just felt like I, I had to start saying stuff. I mean, if you look at my Twitter, my, my Twitter before Trump was just, you know, I some here's a Patton Oswald quote that I found funny. You know, here's a this. I mean, it was just light stuff. Oh, here's dogs barking. Aren't they funny? They sound sort of like they're saying hi, mom. <laughs> you know, that was the, that was my Twitter pre-Trump. And 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 I totally sympathize with the with the folks who would love for me to just stay out of politics because I would love to, too. I would love to just let this go on autopilot and have everybody, you know, have a have a, a you know, have a functioning democracy. But that's not the way it's looking. Yeah, I was I had a lot of musical theater quotes, lots of jazz hands in my tweets, talks about The Bachelor. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's going away. Yes. <laughs> there's there's no more about accepting the final rose anymore. I can't exactly. do it. The shit's going down. It's it's done. It's going on. Did you were you ever nervous about reprisal or when you were because you're what I appreciate is that you're super candid in your tweets. And obviously, you know where you I know where you stand. And that to me is important that people are very clear with, you know, how they feel about issues and how they feel about candidates, and especially because you have a platform, which is exciting for me to see that, you know, people are using their platform to, you know, for good instead of evil. Was that ever a thought to you, like, I could really alienate some people? Or was it not because it's Hollywood and, you know, we're fairly left-leaning over here? Um, uh, oh, yes. It was absolutely a concern because I really I, – I love entertaining people. I love uh, just being funny and having a great time. And I really – I love being a part of art and being, you know, being allowed to be a part of art. And, uh, you know, and it's it's you never really feel secure in the business. Um, so so I was very concerned about it. I didn't you know, I don't want to alienate people. I really don't. And I really um, and yes, I did get a fair amount of pushback, a lot of uh, a lot of homophobia, which I found fascinating as a straight man. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, that was that was that was a lot of the go to uh, uh, insult 
was as though I would somehow take insult at being referred to as a gay man, you know, <laughs> um, uh, say <laughs> some of my favorite people are gay. So, you know, good, good luck with using that as an insult, you know. So uh, I, I um, uh, you know, I got a fair amount of that and I still get a, you know, I still get a fair amount. But actually, I, d- I discovered a very liberating thing, which is. I don't have to be the smartest guy on Twitter. Uh, I'm certainly not the smartest guy on Twitter. I I don't have to win every argument. I don't have to win any arguments. <laughs> I don't have to get into arguments. I can just, uh, you know, the things that, that are, you know, if somebody brings up a genuinely fair point, very often I will let them know that's a, absolutely a fair point and that, you know, blows my supposition out of the water. You know, I'll try to admit that when I do that. I try to if I if I find out that I've posted something that turned out to be wrong, I go back and I try to delete that tweet and and post something to the effect of that turns out that article was debunked. Um, You know, I I try to um, be somewhat responsible about what I put out there, but also realize that it's just me putting stuff out. I think of it sort of like broadcasting. You know, you sort of, you know, back in the back in the old days of the TV networks, (laughs) you, you know, you. You you put it out there and you just and and people can react to it however they wish. But I can't I'm not responsible for their reactions and I'm not going to rebut them and I'm not going to, you know, and, and I'll take what is joyfully offered and in and, and and what's offered and what's offered in good faith. You know, a lot of people want to start an argument just to start an argument. Um, and and uh, uh, and a lot of people have absolutely you know, uh, uh, um, you know, absolutely valid points. Uh, and I try to follow some people that uh, that disagree with me as much as possible. So I don't feel like I'm just living in an echo chamber. But I also try to do ones with, with people who are arguing in good faith, you know. Um, so I think that's that's kind of important. And I try to do that as well. I try to have a few folks in there that I, I vehemently disagree. With. Not like an Ann Coulter who is just, you yeah, know, evil. Yeah. Um, but and I hope I didn't offend her because I'm sure she's listening right now. Um, <laughs> she's my biggest fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's here right now. Uh, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> it's just turned into a, a total episode of Mari Povich. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to do the same thing. It's funny when you said you don't have to win. And that's something I'm trying to get over because my inclination of always wanting to be right is then to like see some tweet and then be like, Oh, I'll show you. And then start digging up information on the internet and spending two hours to prove to somebody, you know, in some state, you know, that they're wrong and they don't care. But for me, I'm like, Oh, I'll show them. And it's so silly and it's so dumb, but I think it's just the atmosphere we're in and how everything is so heightened and nobody at the end of the day, it's you're right. It's words. These are my thoughts. These are my words. And that's, truly what it is. Yeah. And I try to not uh, pontificate about stuff I don't have any real understanding of. Um, I, I do that in life, mind you. I don't do it on on social media. But also, I, I try to remember also that the social media environment is incredibly polluted. You know, there's trolls, there's bots, there's, you know, uh, uh, Russia is still running influence operations. You know, they're still doing it. You know, uh, to what degree it's it's it matters anymore, I don't know. But, uh, but you know, they're still just in there muddying the waters. And so, again, you know, I, it gets... It, it, you know, sometimes I'll see somebody who I just think, oh, OK, that's a, you know, it's, you know, they've got no avatar and they've and they've got, you know, seven followers and they, you know, 
uh, you know, I look around and the other stuff they're tweeting is total BS. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that could be just a bot or, you know. The grammar is a little is a little flawed. I'm like, oh, they didn't teach anything in Moscow. Yes. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's possible that I'm wrong and that that's a, you know, a deeply earnest person uh, expressing their their uh, wish on Twitter. But they just weren't willing to put their picture up. Fine. Um, I'm sorry, earnest person out there. I, I, I wish you the best. I'm going to start calling all eggs earnest persons. <laughs> it's earnest person. That's a good name. <laughs> now, I do have a, a question for you. Do you – I see, I don't block many. I've only blocked a few people who are like actively, uh, uh, you know, uh, malign or malevolent. Uh, uh, you know, generally, I just mute them because I figure it's better that that I can, you know, be, be communicating to them actual information than the, the BS they're generally swimming in. Um, uh, but do you, do you, uh, actively block? I used to not block cause I used to, it, again, I was, I had the mentality of like a teenager. I was like, oh, if I show them, I blocked them, then they know I read their shitty tweet. And then I thought, you know, fuck it. And so I've been blocking more, but I get a lot of misogynistic. Yeah. That's different for women. And so it's a little bit more like crazy. Like I, I can tweet about Russia and I'll get some some pushback. But if I talk about sexual harassment, if I talk about Trump in that way or Don Jr., I mean, I get emails through my website and I'll get like, oh, like I'll just get a rash of shit. So I'll start blocking. I block if anybody is like truly if they're if it's like truly hateful, like you can disagree with me and I probably won't I won't block it. Like I get it if it's like a genuine disagreement. I mute sometimes because it gives me joy to think that someone's screaming at me and they have no idea I can't hear them. I'm like, oh, keep screaming. That's kind of fun. But so I started and actually was a little bit liberating to go, Okay, they're done. Like, I don't have to have it in my world, Mm -hmm. if especially if they're super, you know, if they're just super hateful, because that to me, it was surprising getting on Twitter, too. I first of all, I'm always like thrilled that you connect with people in a really different, genuine way, which is surprising. And I think we forget all about all the good stuff because it's because of Trump and because of this climate on social media. But yeah, I was, I've been, I've been blocking more. And sometimes like, I'm like, Oh, I did three block states, like a hat trick on Twitter. Um, and I get excited about it, but yeah, it was, I kind of came to that point, but again, I get a little bit like the, the tweets I get are a little bit, you know, a little bit crueler. Probably it's funny. You were talking about homophobia. I got a lot of misogyny. I got a little anti-Semitism just thrown in for little sprinkles. Just of, a little, you know, yeah. They try to mix it up a little, you know, I get excited. I'm like, oh, this is fun. Oh, this is a good one. Oh, good. I was, I was concerned that it wasn't out there, but now it's good to know it's there. For you, when with the 2018, were there candidates that you felt like you needed to put your voice behind because you you needed or wanted them to succeed so badly? And you're like, okay, this is these are these are the folks that I need to support. And who who got you excited? Um, well, I got excited. Uh, 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 I I was impressed with. Well, there there were some people I was uh, uh, impressed with, um, even though I disagreed with them, like uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio Cortez. I think she's a fantastic politician. Um, I disagree with some of her uh, her stands, but I thought she did a beautiful job in in. in in the job of being a politician, it is a job, by the way, um, and I th- and and it's one of the things that I that I point out often on my thing is that that uh, 
that that Trump is is bad at this job. Uh, not, he's not just an awful guy who's who's pushing awful policies. He's also bad at the job. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and I think she was. I, I was impressed with her uh, with the way she handled the job and the way and 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 that she's sort of finding a new way to relate to her constituents through social media and all that stuff. I thought I, I admired that. I admired Beto. I admired. Um, uh, uh, Katie Hill out here in California because she's actually she's up in Santa Clarita, which is actually a a um, a fairly conservative area of Los Angeles. Um, and she she stayed on message through the whole thing. Um, she's uh, uh, also got an interesting personal story. And she's, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and I was really excited about having an advocate for the for the homeless in Congress, because in California, it's just it's it's uh, it's in, in, in a disastrous level. It's an epidemic. We have the yeah. highest mm-hmm. rate of homeless veterans of any other city in America. Yeah, it's and it's devastating, and you, it's impossible to you know. There's no neighborhood. Yeah, there's there's no neighborhood where where there aren't homeless people. There's no you know. It's it's not like uh, uh, it, it's not like people can be can decide this is this is a problem that doesn't affect me. It affects everybody. You know, and 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 uh, uh, you know. You know, we've we've in Los Angeles at least. Uh, you know, we've tried a bunch. We're, we're you know we've passed a bunch of propositions, and we're trying some stuff on the local level. And uh, you know, there there is an enormous amount of building, thankfully, in Los Angeles. But it's going to be expensive houses. That's not that's not going. I don't know if that's going to help. Um, you know, I don't know if the idea of creating a glut of housing actually will work. I hope so. I certainly hope so. I think we there needs to be, to your point, a different approach to it, because I think we've been throwing things and just to see if something else will stick instead of taking a more strategic approach to it. Because we've always I think L.A. has always been, you know, in the top three for the largest homeless pop, you know, populations in the country, which is really, really terrifying and sad and egregious. And we should the fact that we're not doing better is is so deeply troubling and we can do better. And that's to me, what's even more troubling. Like we can do this. Like this is not something that's insurmountable for us to be able to do. And so I, I, I agree with you that it needs, it needs to happen. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping uh, Katie can apply some of her expertise to that. Uh, although Congress is, is not necessarily the place to, that you can do a lot about that, but, but I'm hoping obviously. Um, I like Kamala Harris quite a bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there, there was, I, 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 I tried to reach out and monetarily support and, and uh, support a lot of people online. Um, and I tried to support a lot of Democrats who were in, who were in districts where there was just no way they were going to win because because I felt also like, you know, we got to fight everywhere. Um, you know, the, unfortunately, and and also by the way, I have a you know I have conservative friends, and I have uh, you know, and and I have real empathy for a lot of Republicans now because they, you know, they're not um, the, their leadership has utterly abandoned them, utterly. I mean, they they made some sort of uh, deal. With uh, you know, I, I'm not. And this is not a conspiracy theory. It, it, I'm saying on on a metaphorical level. You know, they. No, no, this isn't about. The, <laughs> no, no, it, no. It's it's it's. I believe that you know they they bought into Trump and 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 it's you know it's clear Trump surrounded himself with criminals. He's he is a you know if I, I grew up a New Yorker. I I I you know in New York it has been long, just accepted that he. 
you know, he's been money laundering. The Taj Mahal Casino was uh, fined ten million dollars for, for for money laundering. You know, it's it's the 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 idea that he is steeped in criminality has been accepted in New York for decades. And that Republicans bought into that, that the Republican leadership bought into that, that they're that when faced with that, instead of just saying, yeah, you know what, we backed the wrong guy. This guy's a criminal. You know, he's he's corrupting the United States government. You know, they're they're not. They're digging in their heels. And it's just. Yeah, no, you're it's I, I get speechless because, you know, I was one of those people who. I perhaps naively did believe that there were, uh, you know, Republican leaders who were operating in good faith um, and uh, and really and and I have there's you know, I, I'm kind of a, a middle of the road guy in it politically in many respects, you know, um, and, you know, to to see that they've totally allowed this to happen, including, you know, I'm sorry, we do have to talk about the the politics that are happening recently, just because, you know, people forget that Michael Cohen was, you know, the the deputy vice chairman or whatever of the RNC of the financial. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, and Steve Wynn as well was one of their and Elliot Brody, you know, all these people being named in indictments or removed from their, you know, uh, um, the, the RNC just basically allowed themselves to be turned over to criminals. Uh, and and, you know, everyday Joe Blow Republican did not deserve that. No, it's funny. I have family who some family who have voted for Trump. And it's it's always I always say it's like Voldemort. You just don't talk about it. And whenever we get together, I'm like, we just don't talk about it. But it was interesting for me. I felt I never felt that the Republican Party had failed so hard as during the Kavanaugh hearings. I think that to me, you know, as, as obviously as a woman to see that was truly like the death knell for me. I just thought there's nothing left. There's we there's nothing. There's no low anymore. It's just going to keep getting lower. We're going to have to put on like a spelunking, you know, gear and it's just (laughs) keep going lower. I have my miners hat on and it's just going to keep on, keep on getting lower. And that to me was that was the point where I just went, okay, it's 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 done. You know, I had a a bet with a friend and he's like, oh, Kavanaugh's not going to get voted in. I was like, no, he is. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, he will. I have no faith anymore. And I think that's what's troubling because I also feel like we have so many young voters out there and I want them to be energized. And I hope midterms did that, you know, and I have, you know, nieces that I want to get excited about politics. And I want them to see that they can be the change. But when you see things like Kavanaugh or what, you know, anything that's going on now, I just think this isn't, this is not the America I knew. This is not the one I signed up for to work at the agency. And so it's, it's been totally corrupted. And I, I feel for, you know, Republicans who, who were not, you know, not Trump Republicans who really, you know, felt a real commitment and a patriotism. They may feel differently than you and I on issues, but that's, that's good. You know, those are kind of debates that we need. That's what keeps a democracy healthy. Yes, I I agree, and I actually have an eighteen year old son uh, who uh, I I have had lengthy political discussions with. He actually called uh, the Trump victory months before it happened, which which did surprise me. Um, and and basically, he he was able to basically say, "Look, this guy is entertaining and he's exciting to people." 
uh, and uh, and I think he's going to win. And he said it, and he knew on some level. First of all, you know, he he knows me. He knows how I feel about these things. Uh, 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 he knows that I've been, you know, very active in and uh, you know uh, talking about uh, uh, criminal justice issues and stuff like that. And uh, uh, so you know, he he knew. Um, and and when he won, he he was very. My son was like almost sorry, like like I'm I'm sorry I was right about that. <laughs> um, yes, not like not by the way, like like he supported Trump. Um, he thought that Trump was just an idiot, you know. Um, but he but he knew he he felt like he was going to win because he had this um, charisma and momentum uh, and at the time. Your message, even though the message yes. was shit, it was. To me, that's what I was like, oh, it's it's an easy message for people to hear. Make America great again. It's yeah. you know, dumb as shit, but I think everyone's like, oh, okay, I get it. It was very clear. And it's, my husband actually called it, which I was, I'm like, oh, I hit it when you're right. And he knew I was like literally devastated, but he was right. You know, he goes, he's going to win. People people just are going to glom onto that. And it was, yeah, it was it was a dark, dark day. I hope you grounded your son. <laughs> I did not. I did not ground him. I hired him as a political consultant for the uh, DNC. No, uh, <laughs> you got to listen, actually. You, you know, and, and interestingly, he's I do have good political arguments with him. And uh, and, you know, he's he's a white kid who uh, grew up in, you know, uh, with in a school with, you know, diversity weeks and all that stuff. Um, and I kept tr- finding myself saying, listen, you know, the this is not your fault <laughs> okay um you know we you know it, it has been this way for a long time the people who claim that it's uh, uh that uh, that you know racism is real and you know all those people they're right it has been it, it has been this way for a long time it's not your fault but it is your responsibility to try and do something about it um, and and so I, it's it's hard because you know as, as I said as a white kid growing up and he went to a, a very nice school and you know and he feels to a certain extent uh, uh, like 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 uh, he, should he feel guilty about all of this um, you know and and I was saying no again it's not your fault I sent you to that school <laughs> it's not your fault it's my fault um, but seriously but but that that I I try to let him know that. You know, uh, that stuff that sounds like people out there just claiming they are, you know, I think that people want to claim a certain mantle of victimhood. And so everybody has, you know, uh, so uh, for everybody to feel like their their pain and their struggle is real. I think that's an essential human thing because nobody wants to feel like, oh, everything was easy for me. I, you know, um, uh, I earned this, you know, um, uh, when but there are actual victims. You know, there are, you know, it's and it's not the conservatives who got kicked off Twitter. You know, <laughs> that's not those aren't the actual victims here. Um, there are victims, you know, and 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 you have to listen to that and see that. And, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, he's he's going to college now and he's seeing things for himself. And, you know, it'll be he's a very smart kid and it will be very fascinating to see where he where he goes. I was going to say you were mentioning about criminal justice, which leads nicely into your podcast. And I wanted 
I was, I was, you know, reading about you because, you know, now I'm a podcaster. I don't want to brag, John, but this is my fifth podcast. I'm sure you could tell. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're are a special group, us podcasters. Yeah. If you need any tips, tricks, just let me know. After these five, I'm, I feel like I have it down. Yes, uh, we are growing by the moment. Actually, everybody has a podcast. Everybody has a podcast. I'm already told. I told some of my family, like, oh, you too. I'm like. Truly, the response shouldn't be, you two should be, congratulations. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you got one, too. Great. I was like, okay, <laughs> I can't impress anybody anymore. There's nothing. Congratulations. Like, thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, For you, I was reading the genesis of it and how you listen to Serial for, actually, let all of you describe how you got into hosting your podcast, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, uh, my my wife had had uh, one night said, "Oh, you got to listen to this podcast." And I said, and I had never really listened to podcasts before. It was fascinating how long podcasts existed before they exploded. You know, they exploded. They they, they existed for you know like three years, and people were putting them out, but nobody really paid that much attention until Serial. Uh, and she she literally she she handed me one of her ear uh, earbuds and I put one in and she put one in the other in her ear and we listened to the first episode of Serial and uh, and I was hooked. It's it, it, you know that that first season and Sarah Koenig is just a fantastic storyteller. Um, just yeah, beautifully observed details and uh, and and she you know she's she's great at what she does. Uh, and obviously, the This American Life people are are wonderful at it, you know, going way back. Um, and she's sort of the spawn of that. But uh, but she told a, 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 a beautifully wrought story uh, of this young guy, Adnan Syed, who was uh, convicted of, of killing um, his girlfriend, um, uh, Heyman Lee. And and uh, and I was just, uh, you know, uh, I, I I also loved the sort of Nancy Drew aspect. I mean, uh, Sarah Koenig actually tried to 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 check some of the the things. You know, she she tried to see how long it would take him to get from school to the the Best Buy parking lot, and you know, and she 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 delved into the case um, uh, quite a bit for for a journalist, and um, and I thought that was really fascinating. And then uh, a friend of I turned a friend of mine onto the show. And uh, and then he we were jogging one day and he said, you know, the the the, the one of the, the the three lawyers who uh, who got Sarah Koenig involved in that case, they have their own podcast now uh, called Undisclosed. And I said, oh, OK, I'll, I'll check it out. I, you know, I was now addicted to it uh, thoroughly. Exactly. I'm down the rabbit hole. And I started listening to that first season of Undisclosed with uh, uh, Rabia Chowdhury and Susan Simpson and Colin Miller. And they're fascinating because they are just lawyers. You know, uh, uh, Rabia is an immigration lawyer. Um, Colin is a a law law professor. And uh, Susan is uh, her specialty is the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which is, by the way, coming in incredibly handy now. Uh, (laughs) This must be booming right now. Yes. Yes. Um, but, uh, but they were not, you know, they were not broadcasters. They were not trained audio producers. Um, yet they put out a, an incredibly well thought out podcast. Um, and, you know, you can hear in their first few, you know, they're getting, they're, they're, they're new to this, (laughs) you know, they're working the bugs out. Um, but, uh, uh, but I was hooked at how deeply they were able to go in. And I realized that the podcast the, the podcast as a form is an incredible new thing because it allows people to go into stories with way more depth 
than they used to be allowed to go into because you can do an you know uh, you know uh, undisclosed has now done hundreds of hours of of about these stories that they that they look into and done enormous amounts of research um all you know funded by their listeners uh and blue apron uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, which I use, by the way, uh, I'm a, 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 I actually do use it. Um, uh, we thought about doing it. That's good to know. Okay, just, just you know, uh, they're good. They're uh, anyway. Um, so, uh, so I started listening and became, uh, uh, you know, also went down the rabbit hole with them because they were looking into very arcane aspects of, of the legal system, and that has always fascinated me. And it has always fascinated me that that we in the entertainment industry have never really communicated the reality of the legal system very well. Um, we've always hyped it up and changed it and sped it along and made it a lot, you know, all tie up in a bow at the end of episodes when the reality of it is much slower, messier and much more arcane. Um, and that 43 minutes with a couple commercial breaks. No, not at all. It's a uh, uh, and and it's and it's not just that everybody has a story. It's that that it is to try and make justice into a process is incredibly hard. And I, 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 I admire the lawyers and professors and all these people trying to and, – and, and, and lawmakers in Congress trying to make the law into a process that is evolving and fairer. You know, that is that – is, it's, it's an incredibly difficult goal to achieve and I really admire that. Um, so, yeah, so that's what hooked me into the show. And eventually, do you want to hear how I ended up on the show? I do. But I was going to say <laughs> what I you were talking about, the pot, what I think is so impressive about these podcasts, specifically Undisclosed, is that it also shows it's such a new form and it's such a powerful way of fighting justice and of bringing a real spotlight on what's going on that I don't think we had before. And it's and it's a way to get ears and attention on it, which is which is so needed because our system is broken and it's it needs so much fixing. So the fact that they can do so much good through this medium is to me just impressive beyond belief. Yeah, it's it, it is it is amazing, and and basically they're using narrative to to create empathy, to make people understand what the people who are enduring this are going through. Um, and I, you know, I became totally addicted, and I started tweeting at Colin about some obscure legal question, and he was like, "Why? What? Why is the guy uh, on Two and a Half Men asking me about about this?" Um, the the real John Criers asking me. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. It was, it was very weird, uh, and um, and eventually, uh, oh, and then uh, and then Adnan had a had another hearing um, in Baltimore, and during that hearing, Rabia, um, his his champion, and actually she's uh, uh, she's a very close family friend of of his. Um, she uh, she was tossed out of the the um, the courtroom um, because she might be considered a witness later uh, at one point. And it, it was kind of a pretext because clearly the, the the prosecutor at the time was was unnerved at having her there staring at him the whole time. Um, I'm, and uh, th- this prosecutor is, I'm grateful, uh, kind of incompetent, uh, which is, uh, uh, as I said, I'm grateful for. Um, but he uh, uh, so she was stuck in a Dunkin Donuts across the street. Uh, and while she was there, I I DM'd her saying, "Hey, if you're bored, um, I just uh, I can send you a, a an e copy of a book I just wrote." 
<laughs> uh, called So That Happened, which was my which was my memoir that was out a few years ago. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, it's a great way to pass the time in the Dunkin Donuts. <laughs> um, I'm always I'm always uh, I'm always hustling. <laughs> I applaud that way of doing it. Yes. So You've got I, some downtime. Yes, exactly. So I, I knew I knew she was cool in her heels in the Dunkin Donuts. And I sent her a, a copy of the book. And I got this weird DM from her a few a, a couple of weeks later saying, hey, um, uh, can we ask you something? And then Susan Simpson sent one, this weird graphic of a uh, – it looked like – it was supposed to look like a present. Like, hey, would you help – you know, here's a little uh, – um, but it but it had these weird black curlicues on it that looked like pubic hair, uh, <laughs> which I, I, I was like, wait, where is this going? Where is this going, Susan? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and she said, hey, w- uh, uh, would you be our Chris Hardwick? Um, because and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he was host of the Talking Dead at the time, which was the talk show about the Walking Dead. Um, after you after you watch Walking Dead, you have a talk show about it. And they, and they said, "We want to do that with Undisclosed." Uh, and I said, "Yeah, I would love to to be the host of that. I don't know how available I am, but uh, but I, I would love to do it." And I, it's turned out I've been uh, surprisingly available. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, I love it. I love it. It is. Uh, I try to do a lot of research and be ready for uh, for for doing it. Um, uh, you know, which actually does entail a, a lot of reading and and uh, being being up on things. Um, but I, I love it. I love that uh, that they're that they're doing it. I love being able to make suggestions and have you know and and perhaps help if I can. Um, and and it's it's just endlessly fascinating to me, and I and and thankfully it seems like it's you know it's it's fascinating to a lot of other people too. Is there any any dream interview that <clears throat> you would love to interview, like re- connected to what you're doing, or just just through the process? Is there anybody you're like, oh, I would love to sit down and interview them? Oh God! Well, the funny thing is, I mean, uh, and you're doing this now as a, as an interviewer. I'm not a great interviewer. I'm not I'm not a talk show host. So I'm. If you listen to the first few episodes of me uh, on the addendum, it's embarrassing. I'm <laughs> I'm terrible at it. Um, you know, I want to. I I I feel like I want to get better before I'm I'm interviewing. Uh, uh, you know, but we've inter- we we've uh, interviewed you know people in Congress. We've interviewed uh, you know I I'd I'd love to interview. Here's you know like uh, most people want to interview Oprah. I want to interview Larry Krasner, who's the new DA of uh, of uh, uh, Philadelphia. That um, seems like an easier get than Oprah. Yes. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Um, but I'm but like I said, I've become a a, uh, a criminal justice nerd. Um, uh, you know, and, and and I would love to interview people involved in the Adnan Syed case. You know, I'd love to to have uh, the prosecutor on, although I've said awful things about him. So, uh, uh, you he know, may not accept your invitation. Then. He may not. He may not. Um, but uh, but I you know I, I've been sort of steeped in a lot of this for a while, uh, and he could answer some questions. Like, you know, I'd be like, how do you sleep at night? That would be the, the first how one. How does one look in the mirror when they're that horrible? Yes, exactly. But then we could segue into uh, a, a Casper mattress uh, commercial. Uh, and that's how he sleeps at night. That's how you sleep at night. On a Casper mattress. Exactly. Um, well, we have a few more minutes. And I have already warned you that uh, we've mentioned nerding out a few times here. I am the biggest musical theater nerd. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring up company, the New York Philharmonic production from 2011, which I've seen many times. Um, I have many questions, but I'll keep them short. 
Are there any other plans to do any other musical theater? Say yes, John. Say yes. <laughs> yes is the only uh, answer that I will accept. There, uh, uh, yes? Question mark? <laughs> um, there is nothing specific uh, musically for me. Um, there are a couple of things floating around as as distant possibilities. Um, but, uh, uh, but that one was a very special case. That one uh, came together just through this weird bunch of serendipity. Uh, basically, to give folks a little background, uh, back in 2011, um, uh, uh, they put together this all-star uh, production of Stephen Sondheim's musical Company at Lincoln Center. Um, and in order to do that, they had to have everybody – it was just going to be a very limited number of performances because they got Neil Patrick Harris and uh, Patti LuPone and uh, Stephen Colbert. And she's my uh... – She's she's my person. Yeah. She's my spirit animal. Patty, we'll be talking about her. You and Patty. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. Um, and 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 I mean it was a crazy cast. And at the last minute, um, I don't know if you heard, uh, but uh, uh, Charlie Sheen went crazy on my show and they fired him. What? Uh, no, wait, something happened with Charlie Sheen. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was an incident, and um, and. And suddenly I was uh, unemployed uh, at a time when I was not expecting to be unemployed. So I got this call from my agent saying, hey, they're doing this crazy all-star company um, in New York. Do you want to do it? And I said, yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I was under the impression it was an encores thing. I'm sure you're aware of the encores thing. Um, encores is a thing that they do in New York where they do sort of quick and dirty productions of things where people still hold the scripts and, uh, uh, you know, the actors are still, you know, it's very it's very casual. It's like it's just a fun thing that they do. You know, it's uh, it's sort of thrown together. And that's what I thought I was doing. It was like Sweeney Todd. They did a few years ago that way. And yes, it was exactly. Really, it was lovely. And- it's fun. It, it allows. It's it's a very short commitment. You only do a couple of uh, a couple of actual shows. You don't really have to rehearse nearly as much because you're on book and everybody's and it's fun. Um, An expectation of that. So it, you're going in, going. This is how I'm going to see actors perform, and it's and every but there's just a good atmosphere to it all. I think exactly. Um, well, that's what I thought this was. Um, and then I got a call from Lonnie Price, the director, who said, "Well, we're going to have a choreography rehearsal uh, tomorrow here in L.A." And I was like, "Wait." What? <laughs> There's going to be choreography? Uh, yes. And then he, he, he dropped the bomb on me that this is actually a fully staged production. Uh, we're going to do it several times in Lincoln Center, and it's actually going to be shot on video and shown in movie theaters around America. <laughs> um, so, But I was not the only one who was under that impression, by the way. Colbert was under that impression. Martha Plimpton, who was so amazing in it, uh, also. Perfect and amazing. Yes, abs. I 100 percent agree. Uh, And, you know, but we were all just sitting around stewing on the first day of rehearsal. Like, can you believe this shit? (laughs) And yeah, of course, Lupone, she was made completely aware. She knew exactly what this was. So she'd been working with uh, she'd been working on the song. First of all, she knows most of the songs because she's done these Sondheim tribute things. Um, but uh, but she'd been working with a guy that she hired for three months before. So she shows up day one. She off book. Yes, just crushing it, and and she's Patty fucking Lupone. She should that should be her middle name. It honestly. isn't. It's not. Wait a minute. Is it not her middle name? It is. Because that's what I call her all the time as I kiss up to the heavens. Yes, yes. Um, but she's lovely. She and I actually I met her many years ago. My dad was in Evita with her. Um, he played Juan Perón for what? a while. 
Yeah. My mind is blowing. That's my first musical. That was my gateway drug to musicals. Oh, my God. It was my first soundtrack. I started listening to it like when I was six and I would get on top of the kitchen table, put my hair in a bun and my nightgown and sing Don't Cry For Me, Argentina to my grandparents and my parents. <laughs> so did I. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that was one of my uh, soundtrack uh, that, you know, that was you still had the vinyl uh, cast album. So I would wear it down to the nub. Uh, <laughs> but absolutely... Yes, and 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 just an amazingly staged production, and uh, yes, no. Bob Gunton originated the role of Juan Perón, but my dad took over for Bob when he left the show, um, and Patty was still in it for a while. So I used to, so I just used to marvel at that 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 amazing voice and presence came out of that tiny woman. She's tiny. <laughs> Yeah, um, but she was lovely. She was lovely to me then, um, and she was even more lovely this time around. And, you know, and just she comes to play. She doesn't come uh, – uh, she does not fuck around. She does not brook with other – other when if other people come unprepared, that is not cool to Patty. Uh, <laughs> I love that. She doesn't suffer fools. She does not. She does not for a moment. Um, and, you know, and that's that's and I think she elevates everything she touches because of that. You know, she you, you get into work and, you know, Patty expects you to be good. I would be terrified not to be good. I would yeah. like you have to be on your shit with her. Yep. And I was terrified because I had not been working with somebody for three months on my songs. Um, so I, I worked my butt off. Um, but uh, but what was really amazing was we had these Pace University students who we called our, our avatars because because, you know, Colbert was still doing his show, um, uh, you know, five days a week or whatever. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris was still doing his show in Los Angeles. So we didn't have a Bobby for the first week. Um, if, we had if anybody a, has not seen Company, Bobby is pretty much the through line to the show. Yeah, he's in every he's scene. Every single. Yes. Um, I'm singing and, Bobby Baby, Bobby Booby in my head right now. Exactly. Uh, and that I got to say a Bobby Booby was the thrill of a lifetime. Uh, and I just I sold it for everything it's worth. You, I mean, if you, you've heard it, you've heard me. Do, it's, you know, it's a full on Bobby Booby. Uh, but um, uh, but at any rate, um, we had these Pace University students who were, you know, these 21 year old uh, musical theater kids who. Uh, uh, who were who had to be our our placeholders? Who were you know standing in and and doing the parts for all the people who were missing? So uh, um, Katie Finneran was uh, our Beth, you know the the one who sings "I'm uh, Not Getting Married," yeah, and uh, and Catherine Wake, who was the who uh, God love her, who is who's is still a kick ass performer um, and and is uh, like probably off Broadway as we speak. She was a Pace University student at the time, and she was doubling both. Uh, Katie Finneran and Patty Lupone. So, so in one run through, she had to sing "Ladies Who Lunch" and "I'm Not Getting Married," <laughs> the two hardest songs of that show, and and arguably two of the hardest songs in Ever. American musical theater. theater to sing. You can't. I mean, those are yeah. The, that's. Uh, and it was astounding. It was astounding, and uh, and so lovely for us all to be just around these amazing kids who were, you know, just so excited to be there. And, uh, uh, you know, and but, but, you know, so are we, frankly. Uh, so it was always my dream to do musical theater. And I think it would have happened for me if I could have sung. Ah, but that was never going to happen, according to everybody around me and anyone who's heard me sing. But and it, that was truly I 
that performance, that show was, it was, it was like a little bit of magic to see on that stage, that cast and you all coming together. It was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was, it was an amazing experience. And it was great to see that even, even, you know, Colbert and Martha and all of us who got, who, who, this was not what we signed up for. Um, we, everybody just said, damn it. You know, we're all musical theater nerds. We have a show to put on. We're going to put on a and show. <laughs> Let's put on a show. Exactly. Uh, and that was that was incredible. And of course, uh, Sondheim came to see it, which, of course, was like, oh, I can't believe it. But, um, you know, but I, and, and that just really, you know, I had just lost my job and I was very upset. And, and that was a, a, a an amazing sort of homecoming for me to, to go, go back to New York and be a part of that. And then while I'm doing the show. Uh, across town at Radio City Music Hall, uh, Charlie Sheen's uh, Violent Torpedo of Love tour uh, <laughs> as, a, as a night. Um, I was like, wow, this is just so strange. This is about as different as two things can be. Your worlds are coming together. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, I I literally could talk to you for hours about Sondheim because he's my favorite and about all these other things. But I know our time is coming to an end. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having a conversation with me and coming on the podcast. And I want to just tell everybody who's listening that you can visit the Deep State Radio Network.com and support all of our work by becoming a member. Members receive early access to all the podcasts, one-on-one newsmaker interviews, discounts on Deep State Radio swag. Who doesn't like swag, especially for the holidays? And the newsletter and so much more. And the best, best part is through the end of the year, Deep State Radio is donating 10% of all the proceeds to the Malala Fund and the International Relief Fund. So you can give that. You can give a gift of Deep State Radio membership. And you can follow, obviously, Deep State Radio on Twitter or Facebook. And you can visit John Cryer on Twitter as well and see all of his amazing tweets. He's at John Cryer. Uh, Actually, at, at Mr. John Cryer. It's Mr. John Cryer to you. (laughs) <laughs> see we she should have stopped in the very beginning when i started with your intro <laughs> yeah you're right let's let's erase all of this <laughs> it's going away we should just stop right there you could also follow me and you can make fun of me for getting the handle wrong on john's uh twitter <laughs> handle feel free to mock me endlessly mom at the no i almost got my handle wrong john it's because of you <laughs> damn it john Never again. We're breaking up right here. Right now. Right now. It's over. Done. My handle is CIA Spy Girl. And feel free to tweet to me if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, only if they're kind and nice. If they're not, you don't have to tweet me. Um, And thank you so much again, John. And thank you so much for everybody for listening. Talk to you later. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.